0: Very lovely to see you all and meet you all. There's a few faces I recognize. This is my dear friend and colleague and Spirit Rock teacher, Spring Washam, who I'm delighted to be sharing this weekend with. You'll be hearing lots from her as the days go on. Uh, she's been teaching at Spirit Rock for some years, and we both trained with Jack Cornfield. Founder of, co-founder of the East Bay Meditation Center, which is a really thriving multicultural Dharma center in Oakland, and um, you'll see she's a wonderful being. So uh, my name's Mark Coleman, and i um, based out at Spirit Rock, and I just realized I've been teaching at IMS for about, this is my 12th year coming here. Usually in the dead of winter. (laughs) I don't get to see much snow where I live, so it's really nice to. uh, I know this is probably the only snow you've had for a while, but it's nice for me to see the. get a real winter for a few days. I know California probably sounds good at this point because it's 65 degrees and sunny, but you know, oh well. So, uh, yeah, I'd just like to say welcome and thank you for taking the time for yourselves, really, to come on retreat to venture to IMS. For many of you, this is, well, hands up, how many people, is this a new, first time on a meditation retreat, silent meditation retreat? Yeah, so look around. So it's good, half of you, if not more, about half of you, I'd say. So... um, so you're in good company if you're thinking you're the only one who doesn't know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> uh, there are many so um, and it's a it's a whole thing as you'll see it's a whole experience, especially the silence and being in such a large community meditating together um, with a single intention to to wake up and to awaken the heart and it's a very beautiful thing we create a monastery We create a, a temple here and, and, a, and a, a transient monastery for a few days, which is a very beautiful thing in our, in our lives and our culture and, and one of the things that's important to remember is most of the hard work is you've already done, which is getting here, you know the packing and the organizing, doing all those emails and phone calls and messages and everything you had to leave behind. Right? it takes a lot to even to just come away for three days. So that's the hard work. Now you can actually just relax. You can turn off your cell phones, please, (laughs) and your computers, please, and um, just relax into being here. You actually have have pretty much nothing to do for three days. Like someone cooks for you, someone's cleaning the bathroom, someone's shopping. Um, So you have to make your bed. Well, you don't have to, actually. You can not make your bed, it'd be fine. (laughs) And you just get to be. Lao Tzu, the great Chinese Taoist philosopher said, the most important thing to do is to be. So you get to be for a whole weekend. and I'll, We'll explore more what, what that means, to be. Um, the first thing I want to do is uh, just to um, bring some clarity about why you're here. Um, intention, why we undertake an activity and the intention in which we undertake it is really important uh, Piece of Buddhist teaching and understanding, and it will serve you to really get clear and remember what has guided you to be here. And we come for, to retreats for many, many different reasons: curiosity, passion for awakening, profound suffering and loss, because there's nothing going on on TV this weekend. Who knows what pulled you? But many, many motivations. And so, what we'd like you to do is just turn to the person next to you and introduce yourself. Can you're going to be sitting with these people? It's good to get to know at least. Say, why don't you just say hello to the people around you, and then choose one person to uh, face, and um, just spend a few minutes uh, finding out why you're here. So I didn't mean to whack the bell like that. (laughs) It was loud, but not that loud. Um, So anybody would like to shout out a word or two? What brings you here? January. It's January. Okay, January. Why not? Retreat? Right, beginning of the new year. Good start of the year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, To uh, recommit to my practice. Recommit to practice. Very, yeah. Very important reason for coming to practice. Yes. Bring wellness to my family. Wellness to your family. Beautiful. Curiosity and uh, also I wasn't very clear what I was heading until I slipped into severe depression a year ago. Mm. Um, as I'm walking out of it, I start feeling it's a necessary path. Coming mm-hmm. here I may teach me more. Yeah. So curiosity and coming out of depression and looking for guidance, yeah. Nice. What else? Freedom from suffering. Freedom from suffering. Beautiful. This is what these teachings are all about, freedom from suffering. Thank you. What was this? I heard somebody else over here. Re-energize. Re-energize. Yeah. Re-energize what? You? mm no, Yourself? Mm-hmm. Great. So stability through change. Stability through change, yes. These practices really help with with learning how to deal with transience and uncertainty. Settle down and see what's there that I don't usually look at when there's so much busyness. Settle down and look at what's there when we can't see when there's so much busyness. Yeah. There's a lot that gets missed. Yeah. I just came across this beautiful quote from Martin Luther King who we will be drawing on a lot this weekend where he says, "Um, everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see. Everything, is a sha- everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see. There's much, much things that we don't see. And one of the reasons is because we're so busy. Yeah. Anything else? Presence. Presence. Yes, cultivating presence. Practice surrender. Practice surrender. Beautiful, wonderful intentions. You'll probably hear some of your intentions echoed and other intentions. We often share as a common spirit to wake up, to ground, to refresh, to renew, to deal with suffering. Um, It's one of the beautiful things about practicing together in such a large retreat like this is we draw on the support of each other, on the strength of each other's intention and practice. So remember these intentions that you came with and especially when the retreat goes through its ups and downs and you feel like, what the hell am I doing here? Why didn't I go to the Bahamas instead of Massachusetts? What was that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to wake up from suffering. Oh, yeah, this is what helps. Okay. Oh, I'm suffering. Okay, let's take a look. Why am I suffering? That's what this practice is about, to wake up from that, to see that. So so the retreat form and mm, culture, you could say, you know, it's, we're just, you're stepping into something that's been happening for thousands of years, it's been happening for thousands of years of, in Buddhist culture for sure, and other spiritual traditions where we take time to step out of our ordinary lives, our ordinary roles, the busyness, families, work, and uh, take time to slow down and to be with ourselves primarily and to look within. Our lives are so externally oriented, yeah. Especially now, because we're mostly looking at screens that take us further out of ourselves. Anybody look at a screen in their lives? <laughs> once, once or twice a day. Um, yeah, it takes. So, and we, we, we sort of we lose touch with a deeper level of our being. About what's really important, about what motivates us, about what we'll care about when we when we're lying on our deathbed and going, what kind of life did I leave? Did I re- did I f- return all those emails, or did I love well? You know, so we forget because we get caught up because the whole culture and the whole world now is caught up in this crazy busyness, this pace that we that we that that um, where we just don't remember to be with ourselves. This is a piece from the Times. Um, by Amy Krause Rosenthal called Sweet Nothing. In case you forgot how busy your life was in the last couple of hours having tea, um, this will remind you. How have you been? Busy. How's work? Busy. How's your week? Good. Busy. You name the question, busy is the answer. Yes, yes, I know we are all terribly busy doing terribly important things, but I think more often than not, busy is simply the most acceptable knee-jerk response. Certainly there are more interesting, and original, and accurate ways to answer the question, how are you? Like, I'm hungry for a burrito. I'm envious of my best friend. I'm frustrated by everything in my house that's broken. I'm itchy. Yet, busy stands alone as the easiest way of summarizing all that you do and all that you are. I am busy is a short way of saying or implying, my time is filled, my phone doesn't stop ringing, and therefore you should think well of me. Have people always been this busy? Did cavemen think they were busy too? Man, this week's crazy. I've got about 10 caves to draw in. Can I meet you by the fire next week? (laughs) I have a hunch that there is a direct correlation between the advent of coffee bars and the increase in busyness. Look at us. We're all pros now. Hailing cabs, making Xeroxes, carpooling, performing surgeries with a to-go cup in hand. We're skittering about like hyperactive gerbils, high not just on caffeine, but on caffeine's luscious byproduct productivity. Ah, the joy of doing and accomplishing and crossing off. As kids, our stock answer to most every question, what did you do at school today, was nothing. In our country's history, there have been seven kids who responded with the statement other than nothing. Then somewhere on their way to adulthood, we each took a 180 degree turn and we cashed on nothing for busy. I'm starting to think that like, that like youth, the word nothing is wasted on the young. Maybe we should try to re- reintroducing it into our grown-up vernacular nothing i say to myself a few times i can feel myself becoming quiet decaffeinated zenish nothing and picturing emptiness a white blanket ducks gliding on a pond nothing 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 how do we get so far away from it so this retreat even though you may have looked at the schedule and go wow it's a really full schedule from 6 in the morning till 9 at night it's actually a schedule doing absolutely nothing except paying attention except being aware except cultivating kindness, except bringing awareness to every single thing that you do. So whether you're sitting, or walking, or doing yoga, or your yogi job, or whatever it is you do, that's where the spirit is, we're really not doing anything except learning how to be present and awake with a kind heart, which is everything. And <laughs> at the same time, it's very simple and very ordinary and very accessible and something that you all know how to do. and these practices train and deepen that capacity, that quality, that ability. So the the, the way we have structured the retreat, uh, everything here is designed to support you having time to be awake, to be aware. So as I said, everything is taken care for you and your job is simply to show up and do the practice as well as you can, as imperfectly, as perfectly imperfect as you can. So whether it's the sitting or the walking meditations, which we'll, be, which we'll be saying a lot about, we're giving a lot of instructions through the day, and we'll be drawing on the foundational Buddhist teachings that emphasize the practice of mindfulness, which is simply the capacity to be aware, to be awake. To know what's happening as it's happening in your direct experience, without the interference of your mind and your thoughts and your judgments and preferences and likes and ideas and concepts. Just to simply know when you hear the sound of the bell, that's just hearing. Simple as that. The the wind blows and we hear it. Your breath comes in and you feel the breath. Simple, not so easy. Just do that all through the day, and we'll talk about that. But the point of these practices, to, as I said, to wake us up to a life of awareness, to a life of compassion. There's a lovely quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, a great Vietnamese teacher, who said once, Buddhism is uh, Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. So we'll get to see the ways that we create happiness and unhappiness. We get to see the ways that we cause suffering for ourselves. Most of the anguish and turmoil in our lives comes from where? Right? It comes from here. comes from our mind. comes from our thoughts. We think it comes from the outside. Well, if so-and-so just, you know, would be nicer, everything would be fine at work. Or in my relationship. Or in my body. But it's our relationship, if we look at our relationship to what's happening, that's really where we have the possibility of peace and ease rather than anguish and resistance and turmoil. There's a poem by the poet Hafez who puts it uh, amusingly. He says, um, You have all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare. Do not mix them. Do not mix them. But what do we do? I have a little bit of envy, a little bit of comparing mind, a little bit of feeling de- deficient, and then we mix them all up and we feel like crap. You know, we, feel, we feel like everybody else is is able to do the meditation, and we're the only one who is like still trying to figure out, how do I cross my legs? That's kind of weird. That was sitting on the floor thing. And then later he goes on to say, you also have all the ingredients within you to turn your existence into joy. Mix them and mix them. So we'll be learning here about what brings joy, what brings peace, what brings happiness, those ingredients of wakefulness, of kindness, of compassion, of patience. So, as I said, the primary practice here is the practice of mindfulness, this this simple paying attention to what's happening in the moment. Just right now, as you're listening to me talking, perhaps you're noticing your body, Perhaps you're noticing your breath. And we're just cultivating this simple quality moment by moment, simple yet very profound. This quality of attention allows us to see when we're not so busy, when the mind's not so cluttered. it allows us to still see deeply so that the essence of this practice, vipassana, means to see clearly, to have insight into the truth. Not into our, not about our ideas or, or, or projections or assumptions, but actually what's really true. What's true about my life? What's true about reality? And you all have this capacity. You all have this capacity to be present. You would have probably crashed your cars, tripped over, gone to the wrong room, put your food in your ear if you didn't have some modicum of mindfulness, some modicum of awareness, and we're learning how to simply nurture, cultivate, develop that, and in this retreat we will also be developing the heart practices of, of particular of matter and compassion, of loving kindness, of a deep friendliness to ourselves and others, and compassion. How do we relate to suffering and the pain in ourselves with a kind, gentle, wise heart? So often we judge ourselves when we're suffering, judge ourselves when we're struggling, judge each other when we're having difficulty rather than opening to that with, 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 with a sensitivity and an empathy and a, and a kindness. There's a quote from Rumi from one of his poems where he says, Every tree, every growing thing as it grows says this truth. You harvest what you sow with life as short as a half-taken breath. Don't plant anything but love. With life as short as a half-taken breath, don't plant anything but love. So again, easier said than done. When we're feeling grumpy or tired or depressed, how do we show up with a heart that's orienting, inclining towards love, towards embracing, towards acceptance? So we'll be looking at the building blocks of kindness. So one of the things that's maybe unusual for many of you about this retreat is it's in silence. I'm assuming most of you know by now that it's in silence. I hope you read the literature. Sometimes people go, what? (laughs) And uh, for those of you who are familiar with this practice as we are, it's, it's one of the most beautiful things about this practice and about this center is it's been holding... Silent retreats now for well over 30 some years. And uh, the silence is a very sweet, profound doorway to ourselves, to presence, to awakening, to listening, to seeing clearly. And we live in a pretty loud, busy culture. Anybody noticed, like how noisy? I just had. There's so much stimulation. You may notice there's nothing on the walls here. It's not a very high-stimulation environment. The point is that we're so overstimulated, so overcaffeinated, so maxed out that we can barely think straight and see straight. So part of the the, the invitation is to calm all of that down. So the silence is a support for that. If you notice, if you try to meditate after talking about the primaries that are going on, right? Forget it. You know, Romney, this, this, this. No, but when we have some time to be quiet and still, it supports the mind that's usually pretty busy to to calm, to quieten. So we want to do all we can to, to support that. And of course, for many of you this is new and it might feel a little scary or intimidating or weird. Like, what do you mean I'm not going to talk? There's all these great people here. I just had such a great time at dinner. How come we're not going to be talking? I want to get to know everybody. Well, there will be time at the end, and you will get to know each other. You'll get to know each other in a different way. You know, we've done retreats, say, where we've sat in silence for three months. And you get to know people really, really well on a three-month silent retreat. Not what they do and where they're from and da-da-da. But you get their essence. So you'll feel people in a different way. You'll get a sense of people's being, of, of their heart, just the way they move, the way they sit, the way they walk. So as I said, so often it's uh, scary, but usually what happens after the first you know, half a day or a day or so, it becomes more familiar and comfortable. And actually, for most people, it's the thing that they look back on and, and feel the most uh, cherishing, I feel the most care about is the silence because it's such a rare thing. It's such a gift to allow ourselves just to relax, to not have to engage socially, which we do so much in our lives, which is a beautiful thing, but it's also nice to just let it go and just be with yourself in the quietude, in the nature, in the stillness. This is a poem that speaks to this uh, Uh, What happens in the silence? What in your life is calling you when all the noise is silenced, the meetings adjourned, the lists laid aside, and the wild iris blooms by itself in the dark forest? What still pulls on your soul? In the silence between your heartbeats hides a summons. Do you hear it? Name it if you must or leave it forever nameless, but why pretend it is not there? So silence will be one of the things that supports us. The, the beauty of the nature here, as cold and windy and wild as it might be, is also a beautiful support. And Some of you will be doing your walking meditation outside, some of you will be taking longer walks outside if you need space and access to the wild and this beautiful forest here. And I spend a lot of my own time and practice out in nature and I find it a profound support for presence, for attention, For the heart opening, for the sense of connectedness, and some other things, just to um, think about, um, especially for those of you who are new to practice, new to meditation practice. Like anything, you you know, if if this was a, you know, violin conservatory, you were coming for a three day. Uh, uh, introduction to violin, you wouldn't expect to be leaving playing a very difficult violin concerto by Shostakovich. You know, you'd be maybe mastering scales or not mastering, but even learning scales, something. So then, the same way with the retreat, to notice what your expectations are. Right? We usually ex- have such high expectations not a bad thing to have high expectations, but it is if you then wickedly beat yourself up and judge yourself for failing them every every time. So to be realistic about what's possible in these three days and to not um, set unrealistic expectations, to notice what your expectations are for the retreat. Maybe some of you here for bliss, love, and light for three days. Well, may that be so. And it may not be so. What's important, the essence of mindfulness practice is learning how to meet what's in front of us with awareness, with kindness, with clarity. So it's not so much important what happens here on the retreat, but how we relate to it. What quality of mind and heart are we cultivating in our relationship to ourselves, to our body, to our emotions, to our thoughts, to each other, to life? Yeah? So how are we relating to this moment? This is what's happening and how we're relating to it. This is a key part of this practice. So whether your mind is in Timbuktu and your body's aching and screaming and you're, who knows what might be going on, can you bring a quality of kind presence to that? There'll be times you can, times you can't. So probably why I'm saying this is to, is to be patient with yourselves. We're also living in a very Impatient culture, where if something doesn't appear on our screen in three nanoseconds, we're screaming at you know Comcast or whoever it is that's not providing a quick enough server. So can we slow down enough to be patient with uh, the pace of the inner life, which is often slow? This is from Rilke. I think this is from Letters to a Young Poet, and um, He's talking about the process of making art, but the process of making art, just like learning to play music, is very similar to learning to meditate. It's an art form. There's techniques and practices which we'll share with you, but ultimately becomes an art form and requires a lot of patience. Works of art are of an infinite solitude, and by no means of approach is as useless as criticism. Only love can touch them. Being an artist means not numbering or counting, but ripening like a tree. It comes only to those who are patient, who are there as if eternity lay before them so, unconcernedly silent and vast. I learn it every day of my life, learn it with difficulty I am grateful for. Patience and ripening are everything." So think of yourself like a very slow, ripening flower. tree coming into blossom. It's slow. It doesn't happen instantly. This isn't as one person thought when the the center first opened, they got a letter addressed to the Instant Meditation Society (laughs) as opposed to the Insight Meditation Society. So I know you're all hoping for the Instant Meditation. (laughs) Well, good luck. Um, also, uh, to be watchful of the evaluating mind. Uh, often we undertake a task or an activity or a course and we're, we barely give the thing a chance to proceed before we're, well, is this working? Is this any good? I don't know if this is the right place. Is this the right meditation? Maybe I should have gone somewhere else. And I don't know. It's 10 o'clock already. I'm not enlightened. I don't know. Maybe 11 o'clock I'll quit. If you can, suspend your evaluating mind until you get back home because it's really impossible to know in the middle of something whether, you know, we can't really assess it fully, not not to let go of your discriminating mind, which is a really important part of mindfulness, but your evaluating mind that's judging and that that seeds a lot of self-doubt. The Buddha once said, if I didn't think this was possible, I wouldn't ask you to do this. If I didn't think doing these practices of mindfulness, of kindness, of developing insight that leads to awakening and freedom from suffering. He said, if I didn't think this was possible, I wouldn't ask you to do it. But because I know it's possible, he knew it was possible from his own experience that we can liberate ourselves from pain, from suffering, from distress, from anguish with awareness, with kindness, with compassion, that it's possible for all of us. We all have... Buddha nature. We all have the capacity to awaken. This is your birthright. We all have this inherent jewel of awareness which is the fundamental quality that we all need for any spiritual practice. We have that innately within us. That's, that's, that's to celebrate. And for those of you who are here who've done many retreats, which some of you have done many retreats here for, for many, many years, um, I invite the spirit of um, uh, Suzuki Roshi, who has that lovely quote about beginner's mind. Suzuki Roshi was a great Zen teacher who said, In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are very few. In the beginner's mind, we're open, we're curious, because we don't know. Because how could we know? Because we're beginners. So if you're a beginner, which we, we, you know, in a way, we're all beginners. Every time we take the meditation seat, we're beginners. We have no idea what's going to happen. Joy, love, compassion, hatred, fear, boredom, fall asleep, who knows? Everything. All, all in one sitting sometimes. So can we, can we approach this retreat with complete blank slate and just say, "Oh, who knows? Who knows what it means to be in a body breathing? Let me take a look as if for the first time. And lastly, to practice in a way one of my teachers used to say... Um, Practice with um, outer discipline and inner spaciousness. So, outer discipline means if you're on a retreat, you do the practices that are taught, you do the form, you do the schedule, you come, you sit, you walk, you do the yoga. You really show up and you give yourself fully to it, but you don't do it with a grimness. So, sometimes people misperceive the silence and the sort of introverted nature of this practice as kind of depressing. Like people look a little zombie-like when they walk. They're walking slowly and people aren't smiling because they're not really doing you know, so much social contact. And it can look a little grim. The point isn't to be grim. The point is to be awake. The point is to be free and to be who you are. So, there's, so all the Buddhas, you'll see, have this very sweet smile. It's a smile of equanimity, a smile of peace. So he said, practice without a discipline but in a spaciousness practice with inner joy, practice with delight, practice with gratitude, practice with generosity. Yeah. So um, to remember that as you're looking around, to remember you'll have no idea what's happening for somebody else. Even if the whole room looks like they're, you know, dour and miserable and serious, there could be incredible amount of ecstasy and joy. Because the, 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 certain, the joy that happens here is a more subtle kind of joy. We're not so exuberant. We're not laughing and, and sharing our joys. It's, it's a very sweet, peaceful joy. So many more things to say, but I'll stop here and let Spring uh, say some things. Um, but I mostly want to welcome you uh, and uh, look forward to working with you over these next few days and wish you a very rich and fulfilling time here on retreat.